My name is Bear Siragusa, and this is the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. All right. I guess I should, uh, I feel like all the good podcast people start by saying their, saying their guest's name really sort of enthusiastically. So Becky Dwyer, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, uh, just battling some cheatgrass and dog's feet and gotcha. got a young mule. I was working a little earlier. I was hoping to get out in the mountains, but she's, a, she's growing pretty quick. So she's getting a little tender. So she's just going to have to hang out here at the place and be on some light duty work for a little bit. So my week's plans kind of got screwed up. But Fell that's apart. All right. Okay. Gotcha. How is it with, uh, I've wondered a little bit about that. You know, I know like with the hounds and the huskies and all these things, you got to kind of work on their feet. You got to run them, you got to rode them, you know, uh, to get their feet toughened up. How is that with a mule? Do, can you, can you toughen up a mule's feet? Is that even, is that even a thing? I mean, you can to an extent, um, same thing with dogs. A lot of it's genetic. Mm. There's also the same kind of controversy of a pink footed dog versus a dark footed dog. Right. Um, you see a lot of guys that don't like a white footed horse or mule. Um, and I think some of that just comes down to their confirmation as well and how their foot wears, you know, there's certain things that you can do when you put shoes on them. Um, you know, there's some flexibility there, but it kind of goes back to the saying, no hoof, no horse. Right. No foot, no dog. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So do you, do you put any weight in that kind of thing? The, uh, the color of the foot, uh, dictating color of the foot or the hoof dictating the toughness of the foot. It's interesting. Um, majority of our dogs are dark footed. I do have a couple of dogs or we have a couple of dogs that have pink pads. What I've noticed the most, I have a dog that's dang near all white and he's pink footed. His pads are not the problem. The problem we run into with him is in the crusted snow right around the nail bed yep. gets ate up pretty bad, but it's not the pads are necessarily in between the toes themselves. So that's kind of been a little different, but he's, he's the only one I really have that challenge with. Um, you know, I used to road a lot more on our gravel roads, um, did a lot with the side-by-side, -side, did a ton with a mountain bike. And I really enjoyed doing it with a mountain bike, but we're, we're really lucky in the aspect of the property that we have in the surrounding area that they get to run around pretty much all the time. Um, basically if I'm home for the most part, they're loose running around and, Roading can be pretty tough on them physically. It's pretty yeah. high impact. It, it so is. So I, I yeah. will do some, but I, I kind of prefer to just let them free run if possible. And, and there's some things you're just, no matter how conditioned they are, you're not going to be able to get away from, from crusted snow and things like that. There's just some things that it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that, uh, is going to be a reality kind of regardless of whether, how, how much work you do, you know, I mean, there's, there's you know, I, I take kind of a little bit of pride in toughening up my dog's feet in, in ways that keep them sound the, throughout the entire process. But, you know, once you get that crusty, that crusty crap on the top where they're dragging the top of their toes through that crust, I mean, you can't callous up the top of a dog's toes. That just doesn't, it's, it doesn't work. It's not, it's not something that's possible to do. 
you know, so. Yeah, exactly. It, it definitely presents a, uh, a unique challenge. Yeah. And it's one of those things that seems like once it starts, you, you've got to give them a little bit of rest or you're just going to play hell the rest of the time you have that crusty snow. It's, it's not going to be something that really gets calloused up. It just gets worse. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, that's something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand when it comes to, when it comes to rehabbing is that, you know, it, prevention is obviously a, uh, you know, uh, a, a key aspect of what we do, but it also, you know, once the dog's foot gets, to, starts to get torn up, it takes much longer than I think a lot of people are willing to admit or are even aware of for that foot to get a hundred percent sound again. Yeah, Jeez. I agree with you for sure. Right. And there's, you know, people say, oh, well, what do you do? Honestly, I think the best thing you can do is just rest them. I mean, I, I'm sure happy enough to put them in an Epsom salt foot soak. But other than that, it's it's just time off. I mean, you can paint all the things on and soak all you want, but it's it's just time off and allowing to heal. Totally, totally agree. <laughs> you know, I like... Uh, I, I like getting kind of that crust and the scabs and stuff off, let some air get to it. But ultimately it's going to be, you know, time, time heals all wounds is what they say. And at least, I don't know about that, but at least it, uh, it's, it's true about feet. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, you know, it's kind of the nature of the beast too. There's not a whole lot you're going to put on there that they're not going to lick right off. I mean, you right. can put honey on or whatever, and it's just going to make a mess with it more. You better just leave <laughs> right. alone. And it's pretty far from their heart. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I totally agree about that. Yeah. Now we've, uh, you know, I, I work as a vet, a uh, veterinary nurse, and we've got all of these ointments and all of these things that we can put on. And, you know, in a perfect world where the dog just leaves it alone, they're, they're excellent things, but there's, it's this sort of like almost mythical animal that you can just smear whatever is on, you know, whatever you want on their feet and they're just going to leave it there. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, for sure. And it was kind of funny. I was, uh, at the vet with the same dog that has the cheek grass in his feet right now, getting them removed from his ears because Mm. I, uh, was not able to get them out myself and she and I were talking. She's a good friend of mine and I was telling her, I'm like, you know, I hardly ever have problems with cheatgrass in between their toes. It's always their their ears. And I'm like, you know, ha ha, joking around. I'm going to have a problem with it next week now that I say that. And I've got two dogs down with cheatgrass in my oh, feet this week because my life's just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's too bad. That's that's a bummer. That kind of stuff is just a, is just a pain. What, um, what seasons, like what, what are you guys running these days? What are you guys up to these days? Um, well, we're, uh, we're hunting lions and just kind of getting some young dogs going and, oh, there's the little beagle. Himself. Yeah, there's the beagle. He's, <laughs> hara- he's getting himself tangled up in the cords of the equipment that I've got here. So I figured I'd either pick him up or put him in a crate. If I put him in a crate, yeah. it'll be background howling the entire time. So. <laughs> but yeah, we're uh, we're just chasing lions and trying to stay out of these ridiculous temperatures we have going on this summer. has just been brutal. Yeah, um, trying to get this young mule going and working our tails off in between. Sure. So, Tell me about this young mule you've got working. She uh, she just turned three, and we ended up getting her from a guy out of Montana. The guy got bucked off, el- older guy, um, mid sixties, I believe, and 
he got bucked off another mule that he had and broke his pelvis pretty bad. He wasn't sure he was going to be able to ride again. So the first question I had was, well, was it this mule? <laughs> right. Was it this mule that fucked you off? Yeah. <laughs> he sent a video. It was not in fact this mule, but she's a, she's a really nice young mule out of a, a big old thoroughbred mare and a mammoth jack. And oh, she's, cool. yeah, she's just barely turned three and she's already 16, two hands. So wow. she's going to be a giant. Uh, I kind of wish she'd slow down a little bit. She's actually growing so fast right now that her, her stifles, which would be like our kneecaps. Mm-hmm. Um, are giving her some trouble locking up a little bit. So I, okay. I can't really take her into rough stuff right now. She's just kind of sore and ouchy. So we're just working on stuff around the house and sure. a lot of confidence building. She's she's kind of one of those that the anticipation of things gets to her. And then once you actually start doing the things she's worried about, she's like, oh, okay, this is fine. Right. <laughs> oh, it's the anxiety. Sure. Yeah, and she's she's big enough. She could be a handful if she wanted to, but she she tries really really hard, and she wants to be your buddy. So cool. that goes a long ways. Wow, that's great. That's great. Is that uh, like the locking up of the stifles? Is that something that you're that she'll grow out of as she sort of every part of her body sort of catches up to the every other part of her body in terms of growth? That's my hope. Mm. Um, it's pretty common, and especially as long-legged as she is. That's pretty common with, with horses like that or mules like that. Um, if not, there are some things you can do. You can do some physical conditioning to help. They can go in and cut that tendon. You can inject them. You can scar them. There's different things. But since hers is kind of going on and off, I think it's when she's hitting growth spurts. Hmm. That's when we're having the trouble. So I just kind of try and tailor what we're doing to if she's hurting or not because it's enough that like you can hear them popping and you can see it really catches it's not locking that leg up yet but it's really catching and bothering her so sure yeah i've got four other saddle slaves we can use so i figure may as well just give her the time off yeah no absolutely that makes that makes sense you know and it's uh same as with the dogs you know if if they've got an issue i think that it absolutely behooves the uh the owner the horseman or the houndsman to give them the time to work through that instead of, you know, pushing them through it when they're young and having to retire them you know, some years before they're ready to retire or otherwise would have been ready to retire. Yeah, for sure. And that way they're not making that association of every time they get drug out of the catch pen or, or the kennel or whatever, they start hurting and go, oh, wow, well, this sucks. I don't really want anything to do with this. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How do you get... It's something that sort of fascinated me. You know, I had, um, I rode a bunch when I was a kid and every horse that I rode would lash out at the dogs while we were riding. And how do you get them? Like, how, how do you train that those, the, the mules and the dogs to work together in that way? Uh, Well, (laughs) Sometimes it's a matter of if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. If you're going to stand behind them, you're going to get kicked. And that's just, you're going to smarten up. Um, The little John mule that I have right now, he was a little tough. You know, I didn't really have to worry about him running them down in a pasture or anything. Um, But he was more nervous about the dogs than anything. Mm. So he'd kind of get after them and some of it's just exposure to each other. You know, when my guys are, my pups are really little, I'll, 
kind of bring them over to the mules and they think they're pretty tough and they want to bark at them until you grab them up and put them in your arms and walk over to them. And those mules start smelling them. The pup's like, Oh, I want no part of this. Right. And it kind of puts a (laughs) little bit of a healthy fear into them a little bit. Okay. Um, but for the most part here, they just spend so much time around each other. Cause my, you know, we just kind of started building this place from the ground up a couple of years ago. So I've kind of got all my dogs and horses in one area and and they just have one big main pasture. So I don't really have anything separated off. And this, this young mule, she kind of started wanting to chase dogs a little bit and she wasn't, I don't know if she was being kind of playful about it. She wasn't like pinning her ears and trying to run them down, Hmm. but it was enough that it needed to stop. So if I was there, I'd, I'd run her off and correct her for it. Um, and it got to the point where I actually put an e-collar on her. Oh, so wow. if they were at a distance, because I've used that some with them um, for other behaviors that I don't really want to tolerate. And they handle it pretty well. I'm very, very gentle with it because it does not take much stim for them to react to it. Okay. Um, I don't use it a ton, but it's enough that if it's if it's a problem that needs stopped right then and there or you're not going to live, you know, you're going to go find a new home. Right. Yeah. No, I'll, absolutely. I'll absolutely. Yeah. It's the, uh, you know, it's it's one of the things with the sled dogs, you know, I, I never had any, any collars on, on the sled dogs because there was never any real need for it. But you know, I'm, I'm not the type of guy, I don't like to have to get real physical with my dogs, you know, uh, if in, in terms of correction, you know, but the, the, the few times when I would come down on them is, you know, when they started fighting, because I've seen that, you know, that second and a half where they clash and then one of them, you know, walks away bleeding out that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it can be such a bad deal that the consequences are so severe that it seemed worth sort of putting in a little bit of, you know, may, maybe coming down a little bit hard on them just to avoid the, the, uh, you know, sort of death and dismemberment aspect of, of everything. For sure. Especially when you've got that pack mentality. I mean, you've got dogs that, I mean, they can be best buddies and then you get one dog that picks a fight and he's getting worked over and by the entire I, pack. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It's a yeah, they're, they're like, I'm, I'm the same way you are. Most of the time I can give them a look and they, they quit what they're doing, whatever it is. Yep. But there are a few things that we will have a come to Jesus meeting over and that's one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, it's, uh, it, it's one of the things I've never been able to tolerate. Um, you know, the only thing in my mind worse than that is, you know, a, a, a dog that shows, uh, you know, not just, not just wariness, but full blown aggression towards kids. And that, uh, you know, a dog like that, we won't even have a conversation about that dog's just done, you know, Right. but you know, fighting with each other, that kind of stuff, we'll, we'll, we'll have some conversations that they won't enjoy and hopefully they'll, they'll, you know, it's a one-time deal. Mm-hmm. And it's tough too, because, you know, especially if you're on, you know, if you're hunting away from home and you're on or, or running away from whatever dogs you're working with, you know, there's times where before we really had a place set up. I mean, we were on the road three, four months a year hunting out of motels plus going on. And I mean, most of the summertime contracts we take, we specifically put it to where we can take the dogs with us. So they might be in a dog box. I mean, I might have 15, 18 dogs in a communal dog box. Right. So of course, I mean, they're going to have squabbles or like little kids in a road trip. He's touching me. No, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, right. You know, they, <laughs> they have to be able to communicate. I don't necessarily get after them for corrections or, mm. 
you know, communication growls, things nope. like that, but it had better not escalate more than that. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I find that so much of the time those, those growls and those, you know, little snippy, you know, baloney comments to each other that that's enough to resolve the issue. You know, they'll walk away grumbling from each other as some hurt feelings and then, you know, they'll be, they'll be fine, you know, but it's the, it's the, when it explodes into something bad that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's time to, it's time to sort of, yeah, lay down the letter of the law and make sure that they understand that that kind of thing is just not going to happen. Um, but you know, we've, uh, you know, you've got a, you've got a fascinating backstory, sort of your, all of the work you did with labs and sort of how you got to where, you know, you, you started in with the hounds and things like that. I'm, I'm tempted to ask you questions about all that, but I feel like that's been covered so much. You, you guys have a relatively new place, just a couple of years, you know, you're sort of establishing a, a, a base camp there. Tell me a little bit about sort of that. What, once you got into the hounds, tell me a little bit about what your life has been like since you got into the hounds, not sort of what led up to it, but you know, where, what made you guys choose to settle down where you are? Uh, where are you, you know, what are you hoping to do in the future? Like what's, what's, what do you guys got going on right now? What has my life been like since the hounds, uh, expensive and loud. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, no, honestly. And I mean, like, you know, if we need to catch up on my background, we can dang sure do rapid fire questions or something, but I think a lot of the audience has probably heard a lot of it. Um, so we are in northeastern Nevada. We're about 50 miles from the Idaho border mm-hmm. as the crow flies and about the same from the Utah border. Um, hotter than hell in the summer and colder than hell in the winter and windy as hell all the way around. All the way around, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my husband was raised between western Colorado and central and southern Nevada. So he's okay. always kind of had a, a love affair with Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um and there are really good advantages as far as mountain lion hunting goes for us outfitting. Um, I don't have, you know, we're, we're in a pretty rural area. Like I don't have a neighbor within a mile and hmm. the neighbor I do have a mile away. I could not have handpicked a better neighbor. Oh, cool. Um, and so it works out really good there. They've got kids in Montana and grandkids in Montana. So if we take off, they feed for us. If, uh, or if they take off, we feed for them. If we take off, they feed for us. And so it works out pretty good. Um, and then he actually kind of manages the vacant property around our piece okay. for a rancher across the state who I've never even met in six years of living here. Okay. So it works out works out pretty well um, that way for the dogs. Like we jokingly call the place Hound Dog Disneyland. Sure. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you guys buy a property and start building the infrastructure from there was there was there some infrastructure there already or we did um actually we the first gosh we spent five years living in a 340 350 square foot two-room bunkhouse Mm -hmm. that we rented and we were able to rent horse pasture behind the house for them and then for our horses and mules Mm -hmm. and then we rented a little property down the road further, several miles, um, for the dogs. So we were separate from the dogs for 
quite a long time. And we, we kind of had to do that beforehand too, except for when we would go back to Colorado in the summers, we had them at, at my husband's place there, um, or at his parents' place, either one. Mm -hmm. So that, that's difficult. Like looking back at it now, having my dogs here and Cleve tells me, um, uber paranoid about the dogs in general, but it would be really hard for me to go back to not having them right with me all the time. Sure. Um, just, just being worried about anything, you know, especially in the summer or the winter. So we did that for quite a while. And then we bought this chunk of property here and it was just grass and sage brush. I mean, there were no utilities, no nothing. There was power to the corner. So the first three years we had the dogs down here and then we put in utilities and then actually that wonderful neighbor of ours, um, they were getting rid of a pretty darn nice single wide trailer to put something in different on their ranch. And they, we had just happened to say, Hey, you know, if you, if you hear someone trying to get rid of a fifth wheel or whatever, you know, a good size fifth wheel or a single wide or something, you know, sure. could you let us know? Cause we're going to put that in. And then eventually we're, we're going to put a, a log home on the property. Um, mm -hmm. But we're just kind of trying to do things maybe a non-traditional way, I guess. Sure. Um, and they said, well, the ranch is getting rid of one. Why don't you come look at it? So we hauled it 25 or 28 miles here and here it sits. So we're just slowly putting in, you know, we got our dog yard put in for the most part. And you and I have kind of talked about that. I'm, yep. you know, I've got it in, but certainly not how I want it. Right. The, uh, um, the it's blowing away every now and then I hear. Yeah. Well, I think I somehow lost you. I can still see you yeah. and I can hear you great. Well, we'll carry on this way because somehow I can't see you. <laughs> Strange. Um, yeah, we had a pretty bad windstorm the other day and I walked outside to the dog yard and kind of started looking around. We've got all of our trailers lined up and I'm like, huh, that camp trailer wasn't on its side <laughs> when I went in before this one. Oh, that's cool. Oh, so man. yeah, we kind of have some extreme weather. Um, so it's just trying to get everything set up to where it works easily and you can have stock. Right. And you're not fighting everything in the winter or in the summer, just trying to make it easier and, and more comfortable for every, every critter involved. Sure. Yeah. I mean that, uh, we've got a little bit of the same, the same issue here, um, just in terms of wind. Um, we we're kind of tucked in now, which is nice, but, um, you know, um, some of the places I've been, you know, we're so far north that the tree line isn't that high. So we end up pretty exposed pretty quickly. And that can be really challenging. You know, I, I don't think people, you know, I, I think people think, well, you just nail on your dog, dog house roofs and, you know, put a couple of cinder blocks around their house and you're fine. It's, it's not that simple. You know, I've, I've had to go, you know, down to the tree line looking for dog bowls and things like that, you know, that have just kind of blown away. And, and, you know, especially during the winter time when it starts to blow and snow at the same time, that can be, that can be really challenging, you know, especially when you've got the livestock on top of, you know, on top of everything, kind of keeping everybody happy and healthy can be a real it, pain in the butt. It really can be. Um, like, you know, we're kind of in that, I don't want to say, weird cross country where it's going from like high desert to almost alpine kind of like the 
the draws, some of them have quakies and, and pines and rose bushes and all that, but the, the flats are cheatgrass and sage, or you might have a couple of cedar trees, but it's not like mm. Southern Nevada where, you know, it's all cedar trees and pinyon pine and, sure. and stuff like that. So it's definitely been a learning experience. And the hard thing for us is the way we're kind of like four, we're out in the valley, but we're like four miles from the base of a mountain range. Mm-hmm. And then we have another very large mountain range on the other side of the valley from us. So it kind of creates a really weird wind vortex, I guess, where there is no predominant wind. Okay. It just blows however, wherever all the time. Sure. So it makes it really hard to like plan things out. Like most of the places you can be like, oh, I'll face my doghouse is this direction. Right. And that'll be fine not the case. Right. Right. <laughs> and we've tried, you know, and it's, it's hard in the summer too. Like, you know, we've tried and they, they have good adequate shade, but I'm like, Oh, I'd love to put up, you know, shade sails. Sure. Except they become literal sails when you have 80 mile an hour gusts and 50 miles sustained. Right. When, and right. It, uh, it definitely makes things complicated. And I, I'm personally not a big fan of kennel setups for mm-hmm. permanent living for dogs mm-hmm. um just personal preference for a few reasons so i have most of them on tie outs you know if, if a bitch has puppies she's in a in a kennel or if sure. she's in heat she's in yeah. the kennel but it definitely uh yeah. presents some interesting challenges it yeah it's uh th- that's a debate that i've not really gotten i've not really engaged in in that much you know uh pe- people look at the chains and they automatically think well it's just it's cruel and you know the reality of this. The reality is that you know the chains allow them to be social, but it also allows them to pull back. It allows mm-hmm. them to get that alone time. It allows them to, if they're not, if they're not feeling it, if they're tired, if they're hungry, if they're sick, they can pull back and be alone without needing to worry about being accosted by anybody. And exactly, you know it. The it's. There are obviously plus and minuses to everything, but, um, you know, uh, I can't, uh, working dogs, sled dogs, uh, hounds, whatever. I feel like chains are a a pretty good, you know, tie outs are, they're, they're a pretty good option, you know, especially considering how much those dogs actually, how much time they actually spend off of those chains. Um, you know, I, I think that it's a pretty a pretty, pretty bummer life for a dog to just, you know, spend its entire life on a tie out. But I don't know if that life quality is going to be any better for a dog spending its entire life, you know, in a little, in a little kennel either, you know? Um, but you know, there I've had dogs that if I had them in pens were so stressed out that, um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't keep weight on them. There was a lot going on, but as soon as I put them on cha- on a tie out, they were. It, it seemed like it mellowed them right out. They they had sort of a concept of this is my space, and it seemed to give them some sense of stability. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think especially if you have um, dogs that maybe tend to have some neurotic tendencies, you want to bring that out. You stick them in kennel. Yeah. And oh. you will see, you will see the beast rear its ugly head. And I, I think a lot of times too, like Cleve and I were talking the other day, we were just, I don't know. Cause we just talk about dog stuff all the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you interact with them more. 
on tie outs than even, mm. even if you don't, let's, let's say you're doing, you're doing chores around the place and the dogs aren't out and loose. You walk by that dog, odds are you're going to drop your hand down and pet him. But if you have to open up a kennel door to get through and pet him, you're not going to do that. Yep. Oh, uh, um, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And like you said, they can, they can have their own space or they can get out and kind of half play with the dog next to them. Um, I think we kind of joke around that we've got a couple of dogs that, and I mean, they're loose quite a bit, but mm-hmm. some of them tend to be the, the snack hoarders. They will go into each other's houses and try to see what treasures they can pilfer. But it's almost like, Oh, I'm going to go lay in so-and-so's dog house. And it's like, what is this hound dog Airbnb? Like you all have the same dog house. You've all had the same dog houses for years. Right. Like, why is this? Right. It's, it's the novelty. It's like, well, I, this might be my Arlo's doghouse, but Emmy Lou's doghouse is, uh, that's Emmy Lou's doghouse. You wouldn't understand. Yeah. You know. the, the straw is greener in the other doghouse. Exactly. Right? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many dogs do you have at this point? How many hounds do you have on your property? So we have, I've probably had the most hellacious last year and a half of my entire dog raising life in the last year and a half we went through about 40 percent of our losing 40 percent of our pack to just unavoidable freak accidents to old age to where like i mean i'm talking to my vets that are also personal friends and i i'm like what am i doing wrong like i have never i mean i went if i'm at the vet it's bad and it's like every three years that's not because my dogs don't get good care it's just right you know, after 20 years of dogs, you can handle most things. You know what you're along. doing. Yeah. And it was, yep. Yeah. And it was to the point where it was like, it was really bothering me. Cause it's like, I know this is nothing I'm doing and it's freak stuff that can't be avoided. Mm. And it's just a matter of, you know, your, uh, your percentages go up that much by how many dogs you have. So I think right now we have, we have one old timer that used to be ours that got retired here. Yeah. 13. I think we have 13 right now. Mm-hmm. We have another dog coming and then we've got six or seven puppies coming. Cool. Something like that. Yeah. No, that, uh... <laughs> and I do. I mean, I love having pups. I just, I'm one of those that I'm to the point where I'm like, wow, I love you from like when you're born to that six or seven month period and then i don't love you that much from seven to ten months and then after that oh you point, mean you, you mean the puppy <laughs> the puppy hell stage yeah i'm right uh-huh. right there with you yeah and i'm not a big fan of it in the fall and winter time oh yeah <laughs> it's uh it, it it's a it's a bummer it's that 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 age is just a bummer you can't do anything with them they're they're just yeah oh <sighs> Uh, it's an that's an intense age. It is, that's, and you know it's kind of interesting because we've gone through um, with losing that many dogs and some of my older dogs and some of my dogs that were kind of pack commanders. Mm. Um, we've gone through kind of an interesting shift in pack dynamics. Oh, yeah. um, and I'm I'm kind of a geek about stuff like that. I don't know. I I probably pick up on things that some people are like, ah, she's she's full of shit. You know that that doesn't happen. Um, but mm. it's been an interesting shift and now everybody's settled back in 
and it was nothing major. It was just maybe some more squabbles or a couple dogs that were wanting to take over some spots. Sure. No one else wanted them taking over, let alone me. Um, right. So now everybody's settled back in and it's pretty good. And so now we're going to shake it up again. Yeah. And I've got some older, you know, I've got that one older dog I was talking to you about coming in and I think he's a three-year-old. Yeah. And then those, those pups. And of course it's always harder assimilating an older dog in. Um, and it seems, that can I don't be know, tough, sound yeah. weird, but it kind of seems like when you bring a, a non-hound in or almost like an outside, an outside blood strain, mm. um, that maybe acts different and doesn't have the same, I don't want to say mannerisms, but you know, you breed the same dogs. They're all going to kind of act a very similar way and you bring sure. in something outside and it's, it's kind of hard for that dog to assimilate sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, so it, it absolutely can be, you know, and it's, you know, the generational thing with dogs, you know, with hounds or whatever, you know, whatever type of dog you're in, you know, we've in, in the dog mushing world, we've got this thing where, you know, people will get into, into dog mushing and they'll usually buy a couple of adult dogs. And there's like a couple of stages where you expect people to fall out. You know, there's that after four years when those original adults they got die. A lot of people will get out then. And then you've got that after 10 years when that first generation of puppies dies. You know, then a lot of people will get out then. And then most people that last more than 10, 10 years, they tend to be in it for a very long time. And, but you know, that it's something that doesn't get any easier because, you know, like the stuff you're talking about, you know, I, I know very, very concretely who was the top dog in every generation of my kennel. And there is, you know, you it's really tempting to sort of take that, you know, macho approach. It's like, well, there's no top. I mean, clearly I'm the top dog. They know who's the boss. They know who the boss is. That, that could be true. But the bottom line is that they themselves have a hierarchy, whether I'm there or not. And that can be really interesting to watch them figure out when that hierarchy is sort of shaken up a little bit by the, by the death of a dog or, you know, as you said, bringing in a dog and especially an adult from outside. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you hear the, oh, well, they're, you know, dogs aren't wolves. They've been domesticated X amount of time. Well, yeah, that's true. But that hierarchy is absolutely there. Mm -hmm. And my dog, you know, I'm going to communicate with my dogs like another dog because it's what comes natural then. But my dogs know I'm not another dog. If they're that dang dumb, I don't, I don't want them. Right. (laughs) You know, they're, they're going to know that. So they're going to interact differently, but of course they have their own hierarchy. Otherwise it just wouldn't work. And anyone who disagrees, go take a a cup of food and go throw it on the ground out there and see what happens. There's going to be dogs that go into it and there's going to be dogs that hold back. And there's a reason for that. And it's, I think there's sometimes confusion, um, you know, especially I, I saw this a lot when I was doing obedience training and and other types of training for the public, you'd see a Mm. multi-dog household and they'd say, Oh, you know, this dog's always pushing the other dogs around or he's doing this or he's doing that. He's the alpha dog. No, he's not. If you have a dog that's running around peeing on stuff, doing kickback scratches, picking fights. No, he's not. Mm -hmm. The alpha dog is the one that nobody challenges because they know. And he doesn't have to throw his weight around. The dogs that are bucking for promotion 
that exactly it's It's those middle tier dogs that are making the biggest waves yep a hundred percent exactly a hundred percent i had an old old leader named blomon and we got a we had a bunch of puppies one year we were building up the kennel again um after a couple of couple of rough years and i think i had 21 puppies that season and i think six of them in total were females the rest of them were males mm-hmm. and there was just there were squabbles all over the place and but there was no doubt that he was the alpha in that in that group but he never got in any fights like he didn't need to prove it to anybody you know it's, exactly it's it's those those squabblers that are yeah sort of the m- middle tier the wannabes yeah, for sure. Actually, my youngest beagle pup, um, I really, gosh, I probably struggled with him more than any pup I have struggled with. He had a lot of things I did not like, and I, he was on very thin ice for a very long time. Um, <laughs> he's been cut, mm-hmm. and that that has made a difference. But, you know, he was one of those that was constantly causing trouble, but he had a very false sense of confidence Mm -hmm. because if you took him out of that environment, he was instantly extremely submissive, very incompetent. Didn't like, you know, he, he was pretty big and bad where he was used to it, Mm -hmm. but it was almost like he was trying to convince everybody else that I don't want to say little man syndrome. um, But now that he's gotten older and we've established some guidelines mm-hmm. and you absolutely will not do that. And this is acceptable. And he, he's really gained some self-confidence and that goes a long ways. And he's really turning into quite a nice little dog now. Good. And, uh, yeah. Not so much living up to his name of Geronimo. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> of course he's named something like that. He, he would have, mm-hmm. he would have to be. Yep. How many, Let's talk a little bit about the beagles. How many beagles do you have? I mean, I, I assume that you... You don't run a... Do you, do you run the purebred beagles together with your hounds, or are they more of a, a breeding project aspect of your, of your situation, of your uh, program, or how, how does that work? <laughs> they are just a project in general. Um, <laughs> no, I run them. I, uh, so I, my original beagles, um, I had shipped in from Kentucky mm-hmm. and they had a little too much rabbit in them, but they had the hunt style I wanted. Okay. So I, I crossed them actually. Which with was, another. what was the hunt style you were looking for? So out here for what we do and the type of conditions we have here in Nevada, you need a dog that's going to go just step for step, Mm -hmm. almost the kind of dog that I don't want to say I've used the term like brace beagle in the past, um, or like a walkie talkie. Some guys call them where it's, you know, nose down every, every footstep of that line or whatever you're, you're trailing at the time. Um, so that's kind of what we need. Mm -hmm. So like my purebred male, he is not a run to catch dog but he does not miss anything and he does not make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And there have been times where, you know, Cleve jokes, half jokes around that we've 
we've corrected him off more lions than most guys will ever put a dog on because he's just unbelievably cold and he doesn't think there's anything that he can't trail. Um, right. And there's, there's been times that there's been a lot of people that they're like, ah, oh, they're, they're full of crap, whatever, you know? And then they come out and they hunt with us and they're like, I had no idea. Like until you see it, it's unbelievable. So mm. I have those purebred and I, I have the Geronimo as a half brother to him. Um, I had his full blooded sister that I was planning on crossing. And mm-hmm. then she's one of the ones I ended up losing in a freak deal. Um, oh. my biggest breeding regret is actually cutting that, that hooey male. Um, there was some fighting issues going on mm. with him when he was younger. And what I did not realize at the time was because he's little, he was getting stepped on in the dog box mm. and it was a consistent problem with one dog. And they were still kind of my experiment at the time. So I'm like, you know what, whatever, just cut him. And every day <laughs> I wish, I wish uh, they would regenerate, that, but they don't. That's a bummer. Yeah. No, I've, I've, so, I've been there. That's a bummer. Yeah. Hmm. But we've, uh, we've taken some other dogs that have been crossbred with beagles out of Arizona. Um, and we've crossed them back to my beagles father. Mm-hmm. So we've got everything from, a full-blooded all the way down to a 32nd. Um, okay. What we do, we like that cross that's somewhere in between like between a half and a quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a little closer to a, a quarter, just depending on, you know, it depends on the individual dog. I've got a couple pups right now that are five eighths that, man, they are, they are really something we're excited about. Cool. So, and I, what I like about crossing the Beagle in two is you get tighter feet. Their heart is just unbelievable. Um, and you tend to get away from any type of aggression for the most part. Yeah. Beagles are remarkably yeah, happy-go-lucky. There's, there's not a ton of that. There's not a ton of that aggression. I've only seen a couple of them that have gotten really kind of gnarly with each other <laughs> yeah yeah now you do tend to get some hard-headedness in there oh sure oh sure but yeah it's there it's beagles are funny you know i had a i had a plot who if you told him to do something if you said it in anything less than your most convincing sternest tone he wouldn't take you seriously he was super hard-headed and he was hard to correct. The beagles, they're really hard-headed, but at the same time, if you're too hard on them, they'll they'll fall apart on you. Yeah, they uh, it's kind of like inviting an evil genius to live in your house and they're smarter than you and you both know it. Um they're I mean I think they're, you know, they're and you hear a lot of people say, "Oh, hounds are dumb or beagles are dumb or they're a lot like a mule. They're very intelligent. They just have a different set of priorities than you. And I mean, I can, I'm, I'm pretty light on my e-collar stuff. Um, but there have been times where I am like, you can see him out there just stiffening up and walking through it. And I'm like, you are trailing a freaking two day old rabbit track in 90 degrees. And I'm just trying to get you to come in and jump in the pool. So you don't keel over and die. Right. Like, can you not do this? <laughs> and it seems like, you know, we joke around, but honestly, when I had that brother and sister pair, the, the male I still have now, the two of them 
combined were more work than all my big dogs combined mental work because they just, I don't know. They just, you've got to watch them like two hawks. Mm. And then once they hit that three-year-old year, year, and most dogs mature around two years old, but it seems like once they hit that three, three and a half year old mark, Mm. they become decent little citizens for the most part, instead of just all out anarchists, (laughs) they know better than you and they don't really care. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There, I love beagles. You know, I, I grew up with a beagle, and I just, uh, you know, you and I have talked about it. I just got another. I got a beagle pup here um, not too long ago. Um, who's yeah, turning five months old here in not another couple of weeks. But they they are the funniest little dogs because you know you 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 won't find a sweeter dog. They're just yeah. they're just sweethearts. And they're never motivated by any, they're never motivated by any kind of sort of maliciousness. It's yeah, just Yeah, they are this, like as pure as they come. They're so pure. And, but at the same time, they're like totally motivated by their stomachs, instant gratification, you know, impulse control is just non-existent. It's, the, they're the funniest little dogs. You know, but all of those things contribute to, you know, I, I used to say with the Huskies that, you know, I, I want a dog that is just happy to be out there. Just smart enough so I can teach it its name, teach it to sit, doesn't need to know any more than that. But I want them to be dumb enough so that I can be out there in 20 below breaking trail and they're not going to think, you know what, this, this sucks. What the hell am I doing out here? You know, because it's the real smart ones. They're the ones that'll turn around on you and be like, you know what? I don't think we've got a relationship that's good enough for you to ask me to do this anymore. You know, whereas yeah, for the, sure. the, the knuckleheads, you know, the boneheads, they'll just be like, all right, well, happy to be out here. I'm sure I'm looking forward to that meal that I'm going to get when I'm done here. You know, and I, I find that the uh, the beagles are really similar to the type of Husky I was trying to breed for 25 years that they were just, just pure, happy, go lucky souls. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like that. Just kind of that Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) L-I-V-I-N. They're high on life. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. (laughs) When you first asked me about them, when I told him I wanted beagles and realized I was insane, um, he's like, well, tell me about them. You know, I've never really been around them. And I'm like, I, I don't know how to describe them other than they love mischief. They're, they're very kind hearted, but they are, um, I mean, if for the longest time, I mean, now that you've, you've had a couple of beagles, I'm sure, you mm. know, they have the perpetual zoomies when they're happy and oh sure we would they would do with cleave what we call drive-bys my male would do it where he'd be like okay yeah i'll come in finally and he'd get just about to cleave and then he'd just kick in the afterburners and rocket by him and he'd turn around and he'd look at him and be like i'll give you another chance and he cleave would get so mad but they're so cute you can't really get mad at him so he'd just laugh but this is the same dog that i have videos literally of busting through just hopping like a little dolphin through the snow mm-hmm. after after trailing all day. I mean, until 
until he was literally exhausted. And I finally had to go carry him out of that last snow drift. Their heart is just unbelievable. unbelievable. It's not because yeah. it's not because they, they have to prove anything. Their desire is just that unbelievably strong. I mean, when I almost lost this male last spring, I mean, the, the vets were like, I don't understand how this dog isn't dead. Like this is, hmm. and he doesn't act like anything's hardly wrong. Um, the next day I had him and he had to be on crate rest. Like he, he was on death's doorstep <laughs> and he was mad cause he was on the lead and he was still trying to trail while he had an IV hooked up to him and, and literally a quarter of his tongue was falling off Oof. from side effects. Yeah. It was the only way I knew he was as sick as he was, was it was, gosh, it was probably 85 degrees out and I've got a little pool tire tractor uh, or tractor tire pool mm-hmm. here that sunk in the ground for them to come jump into. And about three quarters of the way through the day, he came in and laid down oh. in his circle. And I was like, oh, something's not right. And I, his tongue had started to change color. And I just threw everybody in their spots, loaded them in the truck, and just, I'm pretty sure I broke every speed limit from here to Twin Falls, Idaho, to the emergency vet. Okay. Um, and, but yeah, like we'll be, what works out good is if we're building fence we can pretty much just let them go because we do a lot of uh, fencing contracts for like BLM or forest service. So we're out building rangeland barbed wire, you know, for some rancher in the middle of nowhere. So it works out great. And we had one that was way out in the boonies uh, when these dogs are probably, I don't know, three years old. And so I'd just turn them loose and keep an eye on the GPS and they weren't going to get into any trouble at all. And Mm -hmm. so I'd turn them loose at five o'clock in the morning and we'd be laying there at 10 o'clock at night and my brother-in-law would go, is that those freaking beagles I can hear out there trailing? Yeah. And I'm like, yep. And they'd come in the next morning. One of them might be three-legged or just exhausted. And they'd come sure. in time up for the day and turn them loose again. And <laughs> they just go. And it's that hard-headedness. It was kind of funny on the same job. Uh, my brother-in-law hadn't had any experience with him at the time. And mm-hmm. That male of mine that's hard-headed. I think we had taken my nephew down in the evening to go shoot some cans or something while my, my brother-in-law cooked dinner. Mm-hmm. we come walking back into camp just our wall tent camp you know and he goes god that dog is hard hit and i'm like yeah but why what he's like he came in the wall tent and i grabbed him and i kind of threw him out and by the time i turned around and got back in the wall tent he was already back in there I'm like yeah that was no big deal it didn't phase me he goes after three or four times of that i just gave up and he did what he wanted and then he left right <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's basically life with a beagle right oh absolutely when when you're going you know, you've got, when you go from a purebred beagle to a half to these, these different percentages that you have, what are the qualities that you're, that you're sort of choosing as you continue your breeding program? Like what are the beagle-ish qualities that you're, that you're choosing? You talked a little bit about the, the you know, how, um, precise they are on the trail and, and, you know, go, not making any mistakes, that kind of thing, being re- sort of real deliberate about what they're doing. But w- what are some of the other things that you're looking for as you move on farther down the line breeding definitely uh definitely the nose not that not that the dry ground dogs have any lack of nose um we like a smaller dog Mm -hmm. for several reasons um and i think a lot of people call a 60 pound dog a 40 pound dog but i I like a 35 40 pound dog they're just they're tougher they hold up better Mm -hmm. they have better longevity they don't take as much water in a desert or hot environment sure Um, 
I don't think they get cold as easily either. Now that's depending. We've got one beagle cross that she has the coat of a rat and she does not tolerate the cold. And then I have this half male and and the full blooded male that I swear to God, they have the undercoat of like a Malamute. I mean, I've got to sit there and strip them out. Right. (laughs) Um, so they definitely put a little better coat on them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can add a little, little bit of brain, the tougher feet. Sure. And they just, they make a nice outcross without losing any of the nose. And I think they put maybe more heart in them too, consistently. Sure. Um, Was it they, your they drop in- that size down. Sure. That makes sense. Was it your intention when you got the beagles to incorporate them into your dry, your dry ground dogs? Or was that like, was that a whole part of the sale of getting those beagles that you're like, Hey, this could improve our dry ground dogs. Or was it more of a, a, a happy happenstance that sort of created this? Probably a little bit of everything, honestly. I mean, I had wanted them bad since I was a kid and, uh, I always wanted a beagle named cricket for whatever reason. Well, Cleve had a little blue tick female named cricket and I had my beagle, so I guess in some way it kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I'd always wanted to hunt rabbits with them and stuff. And I got to thinking about it and I'm like, gosh, you know, there's no reason you can't have one. And I'm, I'd be curious to see if they would fall in and be able to do it. Sure. Um, you know, and I've thought about even going and trying maybe some more of the kind of going back to, to what our goals are with them, crossing them in. I'd kind of thought about trying a hairbred beagle but i Mm -hmm. my experience with a lot of the beagle lines and everything has been limited because i'm not running them on rabbits and i'm not in the you know the the field trials and all that so i'm i'm kind of debating i don't want to get into and and i'm not i'm not sure i haven't hunted hair with them i don't know if the hair type bred dogs are almost more like a bear dog where they're going to run and drift or if they're just a leggier little faster but still have that, that tack driving, right? I guess, line control, I guess you'd call it. Um, boy, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. I hadn't really considered that as, um, what the differences could potentially be, but yeah, that, that's a really good question. So it's Hmm. something we've thought about experimenting with, um, and bringing in, I would just need to find the right ones. And, And the hard thing is like, if you tell a guy, okay, yeah, I'm looking for a beagle to run hair with, and this is what I'm looking for. He's going to say, okay, if you tell some guy from Michigan, uh, yeah, I'm looking for a hairbred beagle to run mountain lions with, and this is what I need. He's going to think that one of his buddies is prank calling. Right. Right. Uh, it's, it's a little tough to, and and it's kind of tough to explain what you need when you're in such a different radically different environment too. Right. Um, yeah. and to really get across like, like, okay, how, so I can even go watch that dog run and say, okay, but how is this, what I'm seeing here are going to transfer to this situation. Right. Um, as far as just scenting conditions and, and everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, boy, that, that, that is a really good, that is a really good question. I, and I, mean, I want really you to, fi- to, I want you to figure this out and then come back and tell, tell me about it. Cause this is, that's a really good question because you know, the beagles we've got here, 
we've got they needed to they they brought in a bunch of good beagle stock and then they had to really start breeding very specifically on dogs that could function on their own you know because mm-hmm. beagle is the, the beagles tend to be kind of a pack animal anyway but the tradition here is that you only run the single dog okay so they needed i think the dog. you were talking about that with the bob ford I yeah that yeah and you know so it's it's made the the needs here a little bit different than they are you know maybe some of the other places not to say that you know that you know beagles from here couldn't go over there and do okay and beagles from over there couldn't come over here and and you know kick butt it you know but it's um that's a really good question it was something cuz that's something i asked Brett Vaughn about really early on when i first got into these hounds was you know why like in my mind a dry ground lion dog is sort of the ultimate trailing machine you know and was just like well why isn't everybody just running dry ground mountain dogs you know or dry ground lion dogs like you would think that if they could track a lion a three-day-old lion track in you know nevada that they could then you know a bobcat in maine or a fox over here in norway would be a piece of cake for them and it, it, it it's fascinating to me how that trend how skills translate in, in really interesting sort of unpredictable ways for sure and if we really want to start a fight in the comments we could just ask the question well is cold nose learned or genetically inherited right right because that has that has led to some heated discussions amongst people before where it's all all dogs are have the same nose capacity some just have a a stronger desire to cold trail than others right yeah that that would be a whole other podcast that's a whole other (laughs) podcast and potentially the the last podcast i ever do yeah no it's that is fascinating you know it's it's um we have a similar discussion in the dog mushing world too you know just in in terms of you know do the very fast hard driving dogs is it easier to train a lazy dog to work hard enough or is it easier to train a hard driving dog to bring it back a little bit so that they can hang for the length of an Iditarod? That is an interesting question. It's, and it's depending on who you ask, it's a, you know, I'm of the opinion and that a, you can get a lazy dog to function at a level that's high enough, but they still maintain that ability to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have a dog that's going to function for a lot longer. The hard driving dogs, you may be able to take those dogs as one and a half, two year olds and win everything there is to win that season. But then you've allowed those dogs You've you you've misused that dog's sort of predisposition to go balls to the wall, and that dog's not going to be able to do that again. That is a very interesting. I'm going to have, boy, I'm going to be out here working in the dog yard, like mulling that over with my little <laughs> twisted mind for the next three weeks. You know, and I think it's interesting. In my opinion, I mean, the sled dog guys are the end all be all. 
I mean, they've got everything figured out from nutrition, conditioning. I mean, it's it just, uh, and I'm not saying there's not bad. I mean, there's bad apples in every group that sure. do not do the things they should animal husbandry wise. Sure. But as far as just extreme elite athlete, I, I kind of think they're, they're it in a lot of ways. Um, and they don't maybe take the shortcuts that some others other groups do in, in, and I guess it, you know, when you get up to an elite level, like say Yukon quest, I did a rod, right. uh, any of that type of stuff, of course, you're going to have a higher level of, of care and expectation there. Um, you would hope anyway. Yeah. I mean, and the, the sled dog guys have, there's so much knowledge there about, as you said, nutrition, conditioning, um, things like that. And, and just the pure athleticism of those sled dogs is, is really, really just unbelievable. Having said that, the, the dog mushing guys and, you know, you've got a big team of dogs and you tend to look at that team as a unit, as, 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 a, as a single thing. And the dogs are each pieces of that unit. And sometimes you can kind of lose a little bit of perspective in terms of that each individual dog is, fa- is actually an individual. That it's not, you know, that, that, you know, Waylon is an individual dog named Waylon, not just that piece of my puzzle that creates this whole team that I'm, you know, this, this complete team that I'm trying to build here. That's something that, you know, certainly some houndsmen are guilty of as well. But I, one thing that I like is that, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when you talk to the dog mushers, you know, you would hear about these great dogs and they wouldn't talk about themselves. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, I, my name is Sue, you know, my name is Susan Butcher or my name is Rick Swenson. I'm the greatest dog musher of all time. It's, you know, Hey, everybody look at this dog, Granite. Mm -hmm. This is, this is one of the greatest dogs of all time. And, you know, but now it's like the last few years, I don't think I could name a dog off of any of these top mushers teams anymore. You know, there's like a couple here and there that they'll sort of casually mention, but it's much, much more focused on, look at me, I'm, I'm the greatest. Whereas, you know, with these, with so many of the houndsmen I've talked to, at least on this podcast, you know, they'll, they'll talk about individual dogs, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, they'll mention Geronimo and, you know, dogs like that. And I, that's something that I really appreciate about the, the hound world that I was really missing towards the end there in my time as a dog musher was it, it seems like the houndsmen are very keenly aware that they're only as good. They're only as, as awesome and amazing as their current dogs. Mm -hmm. Do you think some of that stems from things say like the Iditarod or some of the 
the bigger races getting more commercialized and having sponsorships and versus kind of there isn't a lot of that per se. You know, unless you're talking about night hunts and stuff, I mean, there isn't real, I mean, you've got state field trials and stuff, but there's nothing to that extreme um, in the hound world. I, I think so. I think when you start, when you start boiling things down to speed, one way or the other, you boil it down to, uh, you know, how fast that dog can run 25 miles, how fast that, that team can run, you know, uh, thousand miles, how fast that dog can, you know, uh, tree a coon, whatever. Then you start losing some of the things, you know, then, then it becomes about speed. It's not Mm -hmm. about the tenacity of the dog. It's not about the, you know, suddenly the, the things that make me value older dogs, you know, I've got eight or nine year olds in my team on my, on my sled dog team that I, you know, value tremendously because of what they bring to the table in terms of their depth of experience and in terms of what I can expect from them, mm-hmm. you know, but in a racing sense, they'd be completely useless to me because they've lost a step. You know, they're not, they're not that, you know, 12, 13 mile an hour dog anymore. They're the 11, 10 mile an hour dog, you know? So I think when you start to, when you start to try and sort of, and quantify the value of a dog based off of speed, that you, then you lose what that dog is actually worth as an individual. It becomes what that what that dog can do for you in terms of a total total sort of mile per hour type of a deal. And you know, it's it's. You know, the Iditarod, back when I started, back when I started running dogs, you know, the Iditarod was a, it took 12 days to run the Iditarod. They're down to eight now. They're doing that same distance in eight days. It's an, it's insane. The, the progress. And I guess some people would probably look at it as a, as a regression too. I think it probably depends I would look on at your perspective. Yeah. yeah. And, and like you're saying with, you know, looking at the dogs as an individual versus a piston in an engine, you know, okay, this is piston number, whatever. Right. Um, at what point do you also start trying to force square pegs into, into round holes? Mm. And maybe that's not the place like, like this dog that I'm getting say, she really likes the dog. Um, she thinks he'd be great for what I do. He's happy enough doing what she's doing with her team, mm-hmm. but she thinks he could thrive better in a smaller environment that's not being pushed as competitively and hard. Sure. And I think that's where it kind of really breaks down into: Are you in it for the dogs, or are you in it for you? Right. Um, you know, and it's you see this stuff all the time, where it's like, oh, dogs are, you know getting a, a dog is a commitment to that dog for its life. And I, I agree with that. But part of that is also knowing when you're not doing that dog justice and there's a place that could do better. Now, that being said, um, any dog that I ever rehome or whatever, I keep tabs on. Mm-hmm. I want them coming back to me for whatever reason. I don't mm-hmm. care. I'll drop anything and go get the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you need to take the dog's happiness into consideration also. Totally, totally agree. We, we moved on one of my favorite dogs of all time because he was struggling a little bit with the hills that we've got here. It was just, I, I could see it was wearing on him. So we, you know, we sent him to some friends who, um, you know, had slightly flatter to, or not slightly, very much flatter terrain. And he, he didn't need to do the things that he didn't like to do. And then they got a kid, their position, you know, their situation changed. So, you know, he just moved back in here at 12 years old and I'm tickled pink to have him here again. You know, it's, it's, it's that thing where, you know, you, you, I, I think that you touched on something that's really important that a lot of people, especially the, especially people who have pets don't understand is, is that. you have a responsibility to make sure that that dog has the best possible life it can have. And sometimes that actually means moving it away, moving it on that I'm, I am not capable of giving that dog what it, the best, the best scenario for a good life because of, you know, the other things that I, the other animals that I have responsibility for, the place that I live or, you know, whatever. I think that's such a, such an important thing. And, you know, the, it's, it is something that I appreciate about the, the, the houndsman sport coming from my background and in, in the, the dog mushing is that, you know, you, you may look at it that there's a lot of trading going on. There's a lot of dogs getting kind of moved from owner to owner to owner. I don't necessarily think that's the, that's very good, but it seems like there's a little bit more effort put into trying to find a situation where that dog will fit in than mm -hmm. I think is necessarily in, in the dog mushing world. I've, I've seen a lack of that, that, that bothers me a little bit. And that may be. You know, and we could even break that down all the way to going back to the kennels versus tieouts debate hmm. where people think it's cruel and it's like, well, okay, but that dog that's on a tieout can sit there and lay down next to his buddy or he can go in his doghouse or he can watch that rabbit run around or he can watch the world go by versus right. the border collie that's in a crate or on the couch eight hours a day while its owners are at work with absolutely zero mental stimulation besides hearing traffic go by the house. Right. Um, you know, and maybe some of that effort to find where a dog fits in um, because the hounds are more independent of their handler and they have a little more, I don't want to say creative freedom. Uh, God, I sound like a hippie, but. <laughs> they're able to live their truth, man. They're, yeah, honestly, they're, uh, maybe they're less micromanaged. Yeah. So they, they might be able to slide into a, a hole a little easier than, than say a dog that's right there with the team all the time. And he's either, he, he's got to be what he has to be. Right. Because, you know, your team's only as strong as your, your weakest dog. Right. Um, and, you know, that's, I, I think that that's true. You know, it's, it, you know, I, I know guys that will have a pack of hounds where they will have that older dog that can't keep up when things are really flying, but at a loss, you know, when the pups are having a hard time figuring it out, that dog will just sort of putt, putt, putt through and mm -hmm. figure that stuff, get them all lined out again. And then it's way back left in the dust anymore. 
that's the thing, you know, with the hus with the huskies, we don't have that luxury. You know, I can't have a dog fall two miles behind to eventually catch up when we slow down. It's it's not how it works. You know, so there's there's much less room for them to be. There's much less room to take care of each individual's needs in terms of speed. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, but, you know, just sort of touching on something you, you, you mentioned here is, is one of the things that took me the longest time to get used to with the hounds was that, you know, with the Huskies, I'm fairly literally always tied to them. I have, I have a physical connection to each individual dog on that team. And with the, with the hounds, it took me a while to even get comfortable to that, with that, you know, if you lose your Husky, your team of Huskies, you are screwed. And not only are you screwed, but those dogs are screwed because they're going to get in trouble. They're going to get hurt. They're tied to each other. And suddenly they don't have anybody taking care of them and they need that. You know, but with the hounds, just that ability to sort of let them go and just release, like just take a step back and watch them disappear into the ether. That took me a long time to get used to. It was still that sort of half panicky, you know, lump in the back of my throat thinking that I, what if they get hurt? You know, I'm never, I'm ne I may never see this dog again. You know, it, it took me a while to get over that. It's, it's almost like. I don't know. It's almost like, you know, some people do the opposite thing of what they want to do to get over some weird deal they have. It's almost like if you're a control freak, okay, go turn your dogs loose. Right. They're, you're going to survive. Right. And it's, it is, it's, it's this weird, like, and I am attached to my dogs probably to a fault. <laughs> um, I just, they're, and, and I mean, Cleves, same, we've essentially built our life around them. Um, sure. And I think when you have that many, it's just kind of how it goes. If you're going to do them justice and you're going to actually enjoy it. Yep. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's this really weird line between, and I know I'm cognizantly more aware of it is this last year and a half of, I may never see this dog alive again, or the next time I see this dog, this might be really, really bad, but also knowing that is what truly makes that dog happier than anything else could mm. and that it's just part of it it's like it's this really weird because your instinct of course is in, in, and even if you looked at them as just an investment your instinct is to protect that and to keep that as safe as you can because sure. you've got thousands and years invested or whatever and, and emotions you know mm. whatever you want to put it it's just kind of this weird little sublime like it is what it is but praying your tail off, I guess, at the same time that everything goes good for, for everything involved. I mean, the, the sure. game you're chasing, the dogs, the you, the client. I mean, I, I don't want I don't want the critter we're chasing stressed out any more than it has to be. I don't want anything. You right. always want things to go right. They don't right. always, but you always hope that that's your hope, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a funny balance. And, you know, in all of these different sports, there's all of these different dog powered sports. It's, um, 
there are varying degrees of control and the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a control freak in terms of, I get real uncomfortable. I don't have to have control all the time, but I get a little bit uncomfortable when I don't have it. And the hounds have actually been really, really therapeutic for me in terms of just sort of facing that, facing that fear and being able to just kind of like let go a little bit and, you know, let the, let the cards fall how they may, you know, both, you know, positively. And uh, there've been times where the dogs have done things that have, you know, just absolutely filled me with joy in the, that I hadn't, exp I didn't know they had it in them or, you know, they, you know, and then there's times where, you know, it's, they've done things that have left me pretty bereft, you know, pretty, pretty heartbroken, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I think that's part of what makes this whole hounds thing or dogs in general, but you know, hounds, since we're talking about that, just so such a, an amazing thing. Yeah, for sure. I probably tend to fall into that same, same category you do. Um, I can be pretty go with the flow, but when things hit the fan, I want to be able to make sure things are going right. And it was kind of weird going from a kid into a young adult and going from a dog sport that was so extremely precise and controlled. I mean, you blow a whistle at 400 yards, even if that dog's swimming, he better stop and turn around and look at you and take a hand signal. Right. Um, to, all right. Dump them out. See you in a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's like, <laughs> wowza, I could literally have not done more of a 180 if I tried. Right. And I don't know, going and hunting on the Mongolian plains or something. Like, right. I went complete opposites. And I have a great love and respect for both of them. It's just mm -hmm. different, different parts of life, I guess. Yeah. It, it is. And it's, it's, it's always fascinating to me. You know, it's, it's, so many of the people I talk to, you know, they, they get into the hounds via a relative that did it, you know, a father, an uncle, grandfather, something like that. And that's awesome. I mean, the amount, the amount of knowledge that they inherit that way, that they just sort of, sort of through osmosis, just sort of soak up is amazing to me. And I'm super jealous of it sometimes. But it's also really, really interesting to talk to people who came to the hounds via somewhere else, you know, another dog sport or, or, you know, because it's, they, they bring with them a perspective that is really remarkable. And it's, it's something I appreciated in the, in the dog mushing world as well, that, you know, a couple of the best dog mushers of all time were houndsmen first mm -hmm. and came to the dog mushing later on. And they brought so many of those great skills and this great perspective from the hound world and, you know, and sort of molded it and meshed it into their dog mushing careers and made you know, and some of them made changes that other people picked up on and they, they became standard practice in the dog mushing world that, you know, came originally from, you know, the hound world, especially when the 
the dogs that were being used started to become higher percentage hounds. You know, because they bred the hounds into the huskies to add a little bit of speed and mm -hmm. tenacity and grit that the huskies were, I guess you could say debatably, I think fairly clearly lacking at that point. Mm -hmm. Um. So it's it's uh, yeah it's 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 interesting to me to talk to people like yourself that came to the hound thing via a less traditional route. Yeah, and and I often wonder like it's kind of like people who have been raised generational hunting versus um, getting into it on their own. Like, so you look at guys like uh, Martin Buser or Brent Sass, guys who. Mm just basically saw dogs whizzing by and was like, what the hell is that? I want to get into that. Right. And then you look at guys who have been in it, you know, Lance Mackey and all those guys. Um, Fourth generation dog mushers type people. Yeah. And it makes you wonder like, okay, who's, it may come more natural just because it's kind of, I don't want to say second nature, but you've been around it so much. Like who's working harder mentally to understand, to, to try to culminate what they want or who's, It'd just be kind of interesting to see the inner workings of, of both beings, I hmm. guess. Uh, yeah. And how they look at things and just the different perspectives. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I've, I've talked to all those guys and, and, you know, Martin, Martin Boozer, you know, being Swiss, he saw, some Siberian Huskies being run in, on a bike or something in a park in Switzerland. And that made him move to Alaska and become the four time Iditarod champion. I mean, it's, it's what makes him so interesting is that I mean, apart from just being a super nice dude, like they say, don't meet your heroes. Martin Boozer is legitimately the nicest guy in the world. If I ever go to Alaska, I don't care if I go anywhere except his place. You got to go to his <laughs> place. You can drop like the other kennel tours, like no offense, guys. You can drop it. Yeah. Like, you don't need to go to Jeff King's around. place. You don't need to go to some of these other places, but go to Martin Boozer's Happy Trail Kennels. Martin, go go and see Martin or Didi Genre. Yeah. Those are two of the nicest people on the planet. And it's kind of neat because I wonder too, like, I think when you're raised around it, you probably grow up believing or having some preconceived mm -hmm. notions as well that affect you, whether they're true or not. Um, and I don't even want to say biased, but you hear things repeated from a young age and you just, well, that's how it is. Right. Versus you have to create your whole mental thought process from the ground up if you're coming in as a outsider or whatever right and you don't know anything about it and it's like just just kind of neat the psychology behind it i guess is kind of neat it is very interesting yeah it's it's the it's the difference between you know the well it's always been done that way and i've actually thought this through you know and you know then you get somebody like dallas Seavey, who's third or fourth generation, but has that super analytical mind. So he's, you know, was probably a pretty big punk when he was a kid, 
So he questioned everything his dad said, and ultimately it turned him into this, you know, maniac with all of that sort of genetic knowledge mm -hmm. and all of this knowledge that he has, all of these questions that he's asked that he's answered himself. And time doesn't prove somebody correct. Like someone can sit there and say, well, I've been doing this for 15 years. Well, cool. It doesn't mean you've been doing it right for 15 years. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you just look at the people, you know, you, you get these guys that, you know, when they, <laughs> the first I did, I did a rod took 32 days to finish. And then Joe Garney won it in 14 days. And they said that time will never be beaten. And then it was beaten in 12, you know, then it was 12. And now we're down to, eight days. I mean, it's like every year the, the, the overall pool of knowledge and, and, you know, especially with the coverage of the editor out the way that it is and social media and things like that, the, the pool of knowledge is so deep and so easily accessible, mm -hmm. you know, and it's another great thing about it's, it's one thing I'm super critical of social media. People are probably tired of hearing me talk about it. I'm, I am super critical of social media. There's so much garbage out there. But at mm -hmm. the same time, it's the amount of knowledge that if you look at it with a little bit of common sense and a critical eye, the amount of knowledge that's out there just at your fingertips is amazing. It really is. And it kind of goes back to some of that, you know, believe none of what you hear and half of what you see, but the, the connections that can be made can be amazing. And and I think the only thing, I mean, I think the game was different back in the old timer days. I think the dogs were different. I think mm -hmm. there was a lot of different things, but the things that have improved, um, look at the different bloodlines that are getting crossed that from different areas that you wouldn't be able to without social media and the technology of the collars and the GPS and the telemetry. Sure. And, and I do think there's been a shift in the game animals themselves. Um, and like, some of the stuff you hear about some of the old timer greats, you know, the Ben Lillies, the Lee brothers. I have some thoughts on that. Um, some of them might start this fight. Some of them might not. Sure. But, but Cleve and I go over that and my God, I probably drive him nuts to where he's like, Oh my God, I don't want to talk about dogs and philosophies and anything else anymore. I just want to watch this MMA video and right. drink a beer and be left alone. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you think about <laughs> poor guys just stuck with me? Uh, I'll but put him in touch with my wife and they can start a support group. For, oh, perfect. Uh, the, 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 the dog philosophizers <laughs> support group. Um, I, I think there's probably a limit more so probably more so on the big game hounds mm. um, than some of the others, just because you have limiting factors of terrain and there's only so, I mean, Unless you're going to be a, an Olympic runner, there's just certain things you're not going to be able to to be there for. And I right. think just kind of the nature of the beast is going to limit how, I don't know, I guess how far it can advance uh, in certain ways. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of the joy of it, too. That's kind of why it is what it is. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... <sighs> Eventually, we're going to see the pinnacle. 
and it will remain the pinnacle of performance in every aspect of human life or, you know, in, in every aspect of life. But we're not quite there yet. And I think that's what makes it so exciting is it's like, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard, we'll never see this done again and then have seen it done again, right? Well, virtually right away. I don't know. See, in the last two years after everybody, I think the human race might have peaked and gone down. Like, I'm not <laughs> I'm not smart enough for half the population to be dumber than me. Like, that is scary. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's a... Uh... That's a, that's a whole other wormhole we can go down. It's, uh, I saw something the other day. I actually mentioned it and you on a podcast here a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, when, I, on some of these Facebook pages, people will ask for advice when their dog has some kind of a medical issue and heat stroke and bitten by a rattlesnake, you know, whatever. And, you know, I, I said it, that there are like a couple of people who, if they answer the question, go with that answer. You know, you're what you're definitely one of those people where the, the, the answer is going to be a good, solid, common sense, no baloney answer. But to get to that answer, you've got to go through like 20, well, just pour some gasoline on it. And it, it's just it's, motor oil and a copper ring for cholera cure mange. And I'm just over here like. Oh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how your dogs are still alive, but they yeah. have some kind of super gene that I would love to get a hold of. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's exactly it. It's like I, you know, yeah. There's a couple of times where it's been like I want to breed to whatever iron stomach, super immortal being that you're running because that that they're alive right now is a miracle to me. We need to like find those chihuahuas that live in like the trailer parks that have gotten hit by a car three times. They have one eye and they live on a consistent diet of nothing but cigarette butts and chicken bones. Right. And Methamphetamines. Lucky. And yeah, exactly. Never die. Live until they're 21 <laughs> years old. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's just out of spite. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what we need to find. Yep. No, I've, I've, I've thought about that. And you know, there was a, there was a, there was an old guy out in Alaska years ago like 35 years ago and he had all of these insane ideas about you know if a dog had pink feet it needed to be put down you know he would he would call that dog right away if the dog slacked off call it right away if it didn't eat its dinner call it right away and he had all of these ridiculous things that he would do and you know none of it made any sense but, you know, after 30 years of just taking away dogs for these insane reasons, what he was left with were these insane, invincible monsters that you could feed cornflakes to. And they would just, they would go for weeks, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I would never want to be like that, but I'd probably buy a dog from someone like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody has their place and... I think now one of the nice things about social media is um, if you want to put the effort in, there are other avenues other than just a straight article because a dog that might not work out for me Mm. um, might work out really well for somebody else. I have a, a sister to a dog we have here in the dog yard and she's over on either side of the state right now. 
And that gal has extremely successful, well-bred Salukis. Um, okay. She's pretty big in the sighthound world. Mm-hmm. And she has the sister to one of our really good dogs here that jumps rabbits for her Salukis. Wow. And she will not jump a cottontail. She only jumps a jack. Wow. And she taught herself that. And that dog thrives in that environment. I've had some dogs go that do really well in active pet homes. Hmm. Um, you know, obviously you're not, the dog is not mentally stable, um, which you can kind of get into some interestingly wired dogs um, with some of the line breeding that you see. Sure. Um and that's something that if I'm keeping a dog, doesn't necessarily deter me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have probably the weirdest dog I will live around. That that big white dog with the pink feet. He he is an odd duck. And I've had a lot of people that <laughs> have hunted. And I mean, not that we hunt with a lot of people, but I've had some people that look at me like, that dog is junk. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. You don't have to feed him. I know. And it's just right. one of his deals. Stranger danger. Um he doesn't handle a lot of things well at all. He's extremely sensitive to schedule changes and things like that. So he would not be a good candidate for something like that. But there's some dogs that just aren't going to be what I want, but you know what? They might be the best dog in the world for somebody else. Sure. And I think that's one of the joys of social media is you see these, these Facebook groups, you know, stock dog dropouts or something like that. And someone just wants a dog to, to hang around their place mm. and do whatever with. And and I think that's probably one of the better aspects of social media that's come about for, for dogs. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. And that was kind of a whole tangent on its own. So sorry about that. No, that's, <laughs> that's why I, that's why I love doing these podcasts the way that I do. I don't know how interesting it is for everybody else who's listening, but I, I, I love instead of, you know, coming here, sending you a list of top topics that we're going to talk about questions, blah, 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 hard hitting, no ums, no pauses, no nothing. I, I like the conversational aspect of these podcasts. I like being able to sit down and just chat with somebody and it's just a pure, like just a pure chat. And that's why I do it. And it's, it's, I, I love, I love going down these rabbit holes. Yeah. This has been like, super fun for me so far i mean <laughs> it's it's probably good for the little control freak have everything planned out and me kind of like turning dogs loose um that it's it's real i guess yeah i appreciate that that's that's what i'm going for is just trying to yeah if i had to if i had to keep it all squared away and had to do you know many 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 hours of prep before every podcast you know i, I do quite a bit of prep anyway but you know if i had to do if I had to have the entire thing planned out to the minute, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this. It would take the fun away up away for me, you know? So, but yeah, it's, um, so what, you know, what is your, what is your, the rest of your year look like? Like you're hunting, you're hunting lions now. Is that a, is that a year round deal for you guys out there? Or like how, what does a year look like for you guys? It is. Um, our season runs year round. Um, we're one of the few states where you can run 24 seven, which makes it really nice oh, because wow. sometimes if we're between contracts or even if we're not, um, we might get our stuff done in a weird time frame and then go to bed early and wake up at midnight mm-hmm. and go start hunting. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, obviously that can be a little difficult on mules. Sometimes that's more of a side by side deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allows us some flexibility 
And then a lot of the places that we we do our contracts, whether it's trail clearing or building fence or whatever, mm-hmm. um, we're out on public land. So we just kind of call her up and they can go. And it, our dogs have kind of come to learn like around the place or if we're on a fence job, I don't care if they trail rabbits or chipmunks or whatever. They can go spend three hours digging out a chipmunk hole and I could literally care less. I'll, you know, if he gets under a rock, I'll go help him out unless I feel bad and then chippy wins for the day. Sure. Um, but when it's business time, they, they know it's business time. Right. Um, so that, that's kind of cool that they, even when they're not hunting, they still get to do what they want to do. Um, so we usually quit doing that stuff. It just depends on the, the jobs um, and what other stuff we have going on. Like this year, we're taking my dad on an elk hunt in Idaho. So that's oh, cool. going to take up some time. Yeah. Um, so it really just depends on the year. I mean, some years we are just, I mean, we're always busy, especially putting a place in. It's like, it's insane. And you have to, we're both kind of workaholics and we feel like absolute bums if we're doing anything we enjoy besides hunting. <laughs> right. um but you know what the next the next thing i strike off the to-do list there's gonna be something else that replaces it so we've really right. been trying to be cognizant the last couple of years of just going out and having some fun too and i mean we always we have fun just going and looking at jobs or going and hunting i mean that's that's always fun but mm. like the other day we went fishing okay and went for a swim we only did it for i don't know four hours and then came back home and went back to work, but it's, it's taken a break. And I think it's good to get the dogs out doing that stuff too. Sometimes. Sure. Oh, you know, absolutely. It's different and yeah. Even if it just gets them mentally out of the circle or out of the kennel. And right. so we pretty much, everything is based around whenever clients come in or what the dogs need. And we just kind of try to fit everything else in between, but we've, we've really been blessed to be able to have the opportunities we have with these these contracts that we can take the dogs along and, and we try to specifically bid on those types versus right. that. I mean, I could, I could stay busy doing chain link fence or whatever, or doing anything else Sure, and, and probably do better at it. Um, but it would be constantly like, gosh, I got to go home and run the dogs right after they haven't been out in this long. I got to do that. Right. Right. It's, it's kind of a, I don't know, I guess it just kind of fits right in with the whatever's going to happen is going to happen and sure. go with the flow and make it work. Sure. That makes all kinds of sense. You know, it's about, uh, yep. Most work, days it does. Working to live and <laughs> not living to work. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Well, well that's really cool. We're, we're up at like an hour and 40 minutes, which uh, I think is about what people are managing on these podcasts these days, but I would love to have you on again at some point and continue talking to you. This has been a lot of fun for me. Heck yeah. You say the word and I'd love to, I've really enjoyed it and I'm probably going to be bugging the heck out of you with this new dog going. Please do. What did I get myself into? (laughs) Oh, please do. Yeah. That's really exciting. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about that before I let you go here. You're, you're, you're dipping your toes into the dog mushing world. I am. I, uh, before I met please, or before we were really seriously talking anyways, I, um, I had had the opportunities to go to Alaska and do some mushing for some folks cool. and I should have done it and I didn't. And it's not necessarily a regret. It's always been something like, God, that just, if I wasn't into hounds, that would be, that'd be my dream. Sure. Sure. Um, 
And so I've finally brainwashed Cleve enough that, you know, it's this age old saying of what's one more. I'm not going out and getting a full, (laughs) a full tea yet, but I'm sure that'll come about. Um, So I'm just getting this one single dog. I actually had a young hound that got killed last year Hmm. that I was going to try to send out to um, learn to ski jar and and Mm -hmm. rush with. Um, and possibly partner him up with a with another older started dog. Mm-hmm. I have a couple that would do pretty well, I think, and would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I might try to pair up with this dog. But you know, it was something that was kind of different for me because I've never had to look for a dog that I don't want to say wasn't a hundred percent, but because we're so busy in the winter with clients and we are hunting five days five days out of seven, if not more, Mm -hmm. if we don't schedule guys back to back and the days that we're not doing that, we're fixing stuff we broke or attempting to get some sleep. Sure. Um, I needed a dog that might be okay to not work for three, four, five days Mm -hmm. and just ride around the dog box. Sure. Um, so that was a little bit different to try to find a dog that still had the desire to do that and to work singly, not working a team, Sure. but would still be okay. Just kind of hanging out. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think I've found that dog so far and cool. we're supposed to, I've been trying to get over to Colorado to get him. And it's just been everything that could go wrong has been, mm. um, got two trucks in the shop right now and one that needs to go in and Cleve has another one down in the fence job with him. And bummer. yeah, it's just been kind of that kind of spring. So thankfully the gals, she's like, I'm really not in a huge hurry to get a hold of him. I've been looking for the perfect place for him because sure. that kind of made him a little tougher to rehome. Right. Um, so it kind of seems to be working out and we'll, uh, we'll see. And we were, it was kind of funny cause we were up on Idaho clearing trail for the forest service and we were both running a chainsaw and just out of the blue, we were sharpening chainsaws and Cleve goes, you know, what's going to happen. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to figure out what it, where he's even coming from. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we're going to turn that dog out and he's going to be a lion tree and son of a gun Oh yeah, with the hounds. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, probably so. Well, and now I'm, I'm, I've been on this pug kick for a while because <laughs> I just want a really dumb dog I don't have to think about and try to mentally outfox every day in a battle of the wits. Yep. And I, I had put on Facebook, there's a gal that breeds pugs that actually have noses and can breathe. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> like the pugs working cattle or something. Yeah. That was. Yep. And they go 18 miles with her behind her horses. And I'm like, you literally realize we're going to have, um, a hound running with a sled dog and behind my skis or snowboard is going to be this little tiny sled that has a pug sitting in it. Yeah. And I'm just going to like drive, go by and someone's going to pass me and be like, what the heck what? is this? What did I does he, is he a circus ringleader? <laughs> <laughs> the poor guy. I mean, he's a saint and he has a really hard time telling me no. So I try really hard to not take advantage of that. But if, if we were home all the time, I'd have a freaking zoo. It'd be like Noah's Ark. Yep. No, I, my, I'm Kurt. Oh, my wife is the same. She's such a sweetheart. I love her to death. I try not to take advantage of the fact that she very rarely says no to me, but I would be a lying son of a gun if I said that I never took advantage of that fact. The fact that I have a four month old beagle lying in my, uh, it's actually fairly quiet. So I'm a little bit, I'm I'm a suspicious now. I'm curious what he's up to, but, uh, yeah, that, that 
it's a testament to her good nature as the beagle running around, probably destroying something right now. Basically, the hardest no I've gotten from him has been, um, uh, and you probably having a lot of them in your area are going to be like, oh my God, she's insane. I would like to get a ermine and or hmm. a pine martin for different reasons, but we have what are called Richardson ground squirrels. So they're kind yeah. of like a mini prairie dog. Yep. And I think it would be cool as hell to have an ermine that was trained that you could like slip down the ground squirrel holes to kill ground squirrels. Sure. And the answer from Cleve originally went from um, another word I won't say no to mm-hmm. no to well we'd have to build a dog proof kennel to you are not packing a weasel around more lion hunting <laughs> to well maybe if I find a nest or an abandoned baby one I'll bring it home so I feel like I'm slowly winning the battle yeah. and by the time I'm actually in a place where I can do that and be ready for it and maybe we're not traveling so much the answer he'll just have gone completely out of his mind right. He'll think it was his idea. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's how the plan goes. Wear them down so they go insane and think that all of the uh, great ideas that you come up with are their own ideas. It's like that's just how it goes. Yeah, the uh, I know that they use that they use those ferrets a bunch in Mm -hmm. like England. They'll put um, they'll put nets over the over the uh, the holes into the the rabbit warrens and then put a ferret in there. And then that's just so cool to me. Yeah. And they're, they're intelligent, like a dog. Like I was yeah. going to ask you too, before we went off on our, our visit, um, does anybody over there chase? Like, I, I know some people, I think over in Switzerland run Wolverine with dog and that mm-hmm. is like, Oh my God, that would be a dream hunt for me. Mm-hmm. But does anybody chase Pine Martin or anything? Oh, sure. With dogs? Oh yeah. Tree? That, that would be so cool. Yeah. I mean, all, all of my guys do all of my dogs do. Um, it's, it's kind of a, you know, some people break their dogs off of Pine Martin if they're running like foxes or, or, or something, you know, and certainly if you're running something like moose, you know, you don't want your move, you don't want your dog dropping a big, you know, several freezers worth of meat to go and chase a Pine Martin. That would be a bummer, but Which, that's a whole nother hunt. That's just mind blowing to me is yeah, the moose. That's dogs. crazy. That's like- yeah, that's great. It, it's a crazy thing. I, I had some experiences this past year with, uh, you know, these little Norwegian elk counts and they're not big, you know, they're 30, mm-hmm. they're 30, 35 pounds. You know, I had a, I had a 35 pound Norwegian elk hound stop a, what would that have been? She was, she was close to 900 pounds, not dressed out moose cow stopped it in the road and held it there long enough for me to get in and shoot it that's just insane now are your moose because like i'm not sure what you guys have as far as like wolf type yep issues there so are they less dog aggressive than say like an alaskan or or our moose i would say so yeah i mean we've got wolves here um but they're few and far between. It's a very small population, mainly because they let the livestock, a lot of the livestock out in the mountains to mm-hmm. graze in the pastures, uh, mountain pastures during the summertime. And they don't have shepherds up there with them anymore. So the solution to that has just been to basically remove the threat to their livestock. So there's what not a whole idea. Yeah. I mean, it's not <laughs> a lot of. There's not a lot of the big predators. So, you know, we've got got some wolverines, got some lynx, 
um, very few wolves and, you know, a few bears. Gotcha. Um, so the, it, it is definitely a different deal, you know, and I, I grew up in Maine and, you know, spent some time in Alaska, you know, there, if you bumped into a moose on the trail with your dog team, that was, that was a scary deal, you know, and I've done it a bunch here and I've only had one time where it got a little bit hairy. And that was during a, that was during an unusually snowy winter where the moose was just exhausted. It got up onto the dog trail where it could stand without sinking up to its neck and it was just exhausted. Yeah. And was, and that's, um, that's fair enough. That's yeah. fair enough. It was fighting for the right to lay down and take a nap basically is what the, what it came down to. Um, but yeah, those, those little Norwegian elk hounds, man, they're, they're something else. That's a, that's a, that's a special type of dog. Yeah, for sure. I really don't have a ton of places I would like to travel outside the country, but Norway is definitely, definitely one. And my dad was there for work, um, last year and he didn't get to see a ton of okay. the country, but he said it was, it was pretty neat. And I just, I'd love to go along on some of those, those hunts and just see the differences and, and just the, the countryside looks, sure looks beautiful. It's and, and maybe beautiful it's different, place. you know, it's, it's like everybody who visits the West expects it to look like, uh, Yellowstone, Yellowstone, yeah. <laughs> Albu- Albuquerque, New Mexico, you know, right. or, or Nevada. Um, so maybe some of that's the touristy social media stuff too, but that is definitely a place <laughs> I would like to go. You know, you can definitely find places in Norway that are not spectacular and not particularly nice. I mean, it, like anywhere in the world you go, but just in terms of sort of the opportunities available to have your breath taken away, Norway is, Norway is a breathtaking place. It really is. Like I've lived here for 15 years and I'm still like a little bit blown away or not quite 15 years. I guess I've been here for yeah, 13 years. I'm still blown away by the rawness, the natural beauty, the, you know, the, the mountains, the plateaus, the fjords. It's, it's a, it is a beautiful, beautiful place. So, so now but, my list is like number one, go visit Martin Buser's kennel, and then number two, go visit Bear Saragusa. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just pack it all up. We'll go. Uh, we'll get out with the hounds because that's another thing with Norway that I really appreciate is it is just a hound hunter's paradise. It is now, a- do you guys have some of the same um, oddities that, like, I believe? Maybe it's Australia or New Zealand has one. Like you can't crossbreed hunting dogs. I was talking no, to. No, thank uh, God. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Alex Chris Dick, I believe. Yeah. That's how it's pronounced. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, yep. And we were talking about beagles and beagle crosses and stuff. And he was explaining how there you're not allowed to cross if, if i'm recollecting correctly I, I may be totally screwing this up mm-hmm. um but i believe you're not allowed to crossbreed like different types of dogs like that really um wow. and i know some of the european countries are like pretty hard on things like back in the day a lot of europe or, or england was um on labs that were vocal that was a hard call yep you know if they were barking type dogs so sure. i don't know how much of that carried over still or if it was just kind of a free-for-all over over um, That's a good question. There's, 
there's definitely a cultural thing where people want the expectation is that you're going to be running like in, in terms of just hounds, you're going to be running purebred hounds. Okay. You know, my, my first hound was a purebred or, you know, is she's still here. Was a, is a purebred, um, like running Walker, American Foxhound. Um, she's got some good qualities, fairly useless in terms of putting any kind of game in the ground, up a tree on the table. Like she's, I would starve if I was depending on her, you know, but then I got a mixed breed. He's Russian grade Walker. I mean, way back when he's got some border collie in there. Um, his, you know, his mother, his mother was a purebred Russian hound. His father was a dog from Doug McMahon out in BC. Who's got his own line of, uh, you know, you can call them mixed breeds, but what, you know, uh, mm -hmm. bear hounds, cat hounds. Um, and I got, I got a lot of crap for that. You know, people like uh, that. I didn't even know being like, I don't know how I feel about that, Barry. It was like, well, it's, I guess you can run bastards if you want to, you know, stuff like that. A little more elitist. A little bit. Yeah. You know, for sure. But there's no laws against it. You know, there's no, there's nothing really preventing you from, from doing it. Um, and you know, for somebody like me who in terms of, you know, in terms of the purebred dog world is probably a little bit of an anarchist, you know, I, I've got a purebred beagle that I will never, ever take to a trial. Mm -hmm. I will never, ever take him to a bench show. You know, the people that love that kind of stuff, that's good for them, you know, no issues with that whatsoever, but that stuff is not for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a little bit of an oddity here for that reason. Like I'm looked at as a little bit of like, uh, I'm a little bit strange because, you know, why would you have a purebred dog if you weren't gonna, you know, go and prance around with it for, you know, for a judge, I guess, you know, but, um, the, you know, most people have a breed that they prefer to hunt. You know, the real popular breeds over here are like the Finnish, the Finnish hounds. Um, and then there's some native Scandinavian hound breeds that are really, they're really interesting. The genetic, the gene pool of those hounds have gotten really, really small to the point where they've had to bring in other breeds to breed into the gene pool to sort of preserve the, because the, you know, the, the inbreed coefficient got so high right. that, um, the, the, the dogs are having some major issues. Um, but you know, I, I'm sure I would get some, a lot of crap if, you know, if I ever bred the, I, I wouldn't do this, but, you know, mainly because of the female, but you know, if I ever bred the beagle to a foxhound, I'd get all kinds of crap for that here, but gotcha. there's nothing, no law against it. No, you know, nobody would, Nobody would cause real problems apart from sort of some light social media trolling. Mm -hmm. Mm. Oh, that's always, that's always good. That's you know, always fun. So I guess I have, I have one more question for you mm. uh, before I 
I quit holding you hostage. Um, do you notice a difference over there where maybe it is a little more, I don't want to say traditional to be working dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you notice a difference in the anti movements? Oh, for sure. Versus America. Like, oh, is there more yeah. or less? No, or? no, no. The hunting is such an integral part of the Norwegian culture that, you know, moose hunting, that's still a huge deal here. Like, Big parts of the Norwegian population still take the first week of moose hunting off from work. It's their, they take one of their vacation weeks um, to go moose hunting. You know, the most popular breed of dog in Norway is, um, you know, is, is still, you know, one of the most popular breeds of dog is the Gordon Setter. Most of those are still used for hunting birds. Another very popular breed is the, you know, obviously the Norwegian elk hound. Most mm-hmm. of those are used for hunting moose. You know, the it's a much more normal thing here than I think that it is in places, certain parts of the United States anyway. Okay, that makes um, sense. You know, there's definitely people that are against it. There's definitely anti, anti-hunters here as well, but they are they're much more of a niche thing um, when it comes to just standard, you know, s- standard stuff. Having said that, you know, the, the few people, the few of them that are here have managed to get, have pushed through some legislation that is a bit of a bummer. You know, it's, it's a fantastic place to be a, a, a hound hunter here because you've got things like, you know, the right to retrieve and an enormous amount of public land and things like that, or, or, you know, land that's owned by the government basically mm-hmm. that we're allowed to use. Um, and very, very healthy, you know, uh, harvesting politics and, you know, science-based, um, science-based, uh, you know, wildlife management type stuff. So it's, it's a great, great place, but there are some things that do drive me a little bit crazy that were sort of, as these rules and regulations were being put in place in the first place, just some, I don't know whether they were antis or just totally clueless, but there are some rules that kind of drive me crazy. Like for, for example, um, you know, with problem, with problem animals like bears and wolves and things like that. You're allowed to run those with these Norwegian elk hounds, but you're not allowed to run them with hounds because the Norwegian elk hounds, they'll follow behind and bark, but they won't engage. The hounds will molest. Gotcha. Which, I mean, a hound that tries to whale on a European brown bear is that's going to be an X hound pretty quick. Yeah. That's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a weird bit of legislation. And then they've got, you know, things like, you know, I, I can hunt, I can hunt foxes and lynx with my tall hounds, but that's it. That's it. Really? 
Lynx is one, one of my bucket list critters and I don't have a very big list, but yeah, they're, they're cool. And hunting them with the hounds is, is, uh, is, is an amazing thing. That's a lot of fun, but it, it goes based off of, um, shoulder height. So a beagle that can hunt, um, hare, roe deer. I can, sorry, I can hunt hare with my hounds as well. But that can run hare, roe deer, red deer, moose, um, lynx, fox, badger, wolverine. I mean, any basically anything that I want to hunt with a beagle, I can hunt with a beagle because it's small enough that they consider it to be too small to pose any, to be able to put any pressure on an animal that would be detrimental to its overall health. Okay. And do you think, is that a, is that almost like an offensive move to try and keep the antis at bay? Or was that something that was put in by, or or was that just, oh, this is how we're going to do it? Because they didn't know any different. That's a really good question. So many of these laws have been in place for such a long time. I don't know when the, like, uh, specifically the the height uh, requirements. I don't know when that became law but um and i don't know what motivated it to become law whether that was just somebody saying like well a tall dog can run a lot faster so we'll just put some arbitrary you know arbitrary 16 inch at the shoulder you know height limit or whether it was to placate the antis or whether it was driven by you know i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure but there are it, it's norway's a very very good place to be a houndsman. I don't need to worry about getting my dogs back. You know, if anybody took my dogs and tossed them in their garage because they were on their property, that person would have some major legal issues on their hands. Not for me. I mean, it's just, it's so full-blown illegal to do something like that here, which I love. You know, I love that I don't need to worry about that kind of garbage. Man, that is awesome. Now I went from wanting to visit on like a level seven to now it's like a level (laughs) 10. (laughs) Yeah, well, just, uh, you know, pack up some dogs, a mule or two, and come on out. Well, that new one, she's so tall. Her legs are long. If I leave now, I'll get there about this time next year. That's right. We'll be good to go. That's right. (laughs) And hopefully they don't have uh, I'll check into the horse rules. Maybe they have some, you can't pursue game on a mule over so and so many hands. It's, It's kind of funny you say that. One of the things we're thinking about with her and I'd, I'd rather hold one back all day long than pedal one all day long. Mm. But you get into them bigger mules or those mules that really have a, a good uh, neck slap and walk. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they go too fast for those dogs to be able to hunt thoroughly in the dirt. Sure. That makes sense. Kind of a something you don't really think about a whole lot per se. I never would have considered that. Right. I never would have considered that. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Wow. Huh. Ah, it's a lot of, you guys have a lot, you guys have a lot going on and a lot of, a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things. It's really, uh, the, the mule thing I never would have considered. That's, that's interesting. They are a a different critter for sure. There's, Hmm. yeah, I've, I've heard the saying, you know, what's, what's the pros and cons of a mule and the con is, 
they're not a horse. The right. pro is they're not a horse. <laughs> they're not a horse. Right? <laughs> so, and, uh, they're they're an interesting critter for sure. I've I've learned a lot, and even with this this young one here, I mean, mm. she's taught me a lot. That's she's cool. just a, she looks at life a little different, and just trying to get around her. You know, you a quiet person makes a spooky horse, but at the same time, you try to be considerate to their working level. Sure. So it, it's kind of kind of like a, a weird little dance you got to do with them, but if you do it right, they're they're pretty unbeatable. That's cool. Wow, that's cool. Huh. I'm gonna have you back on. We're gonna talk more beagles. We're gonna talk more mules. Heck yeah! You just say the word. All right. I really appreciate you coming on, Becky. I know you guys are busy, 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 and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk to me. And it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've we've managed to cross the two hour mark and it's just flown by. This has been a ton of fun. Yeah, for sure. Me too. I'm, I'm already looking forward to the next one. <laughs> Likewise. All right. You take care of yourself. You too. You go see what that beagle's destroyed. I'm going to go see silence. what's going on. Cause that silence is suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All I'll right. talk to you next we'll time. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Man, I love that sound.